Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into my top 10 old films that I saw in 2019 in today's episode. What's this? What's this? It's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. What is this? A whole new world. What is this? So I, I have a sort of mixed feelings about this episode. I really like it. I really like looking back at some of the things that I got to discover for the first time that came out decades ago, generally speaking, uh, in the past year. I think it's it's a good practice to look, to explore. You know, I'm looking at the top 10 list right now, and there's only one film that was released uh, within the last 10 years, and only two that were released uh, since 2000. So... On that side of things, I like opening it up a little more. I like I like expanding. I like um, exposing some of these films uh, a little bit more than I already may have already done uh, to to maybe more people. Hopefully, on the other side, there is this fact that uh, I'm pretty sure every single one of these films was on a top ten of a month episode already. I would be very surprised if they weren't, given that even the lowest rated one is still given a score over 80 uh so on that side i know i kind of am going to to a degree uh skim through these films i'm not going to go that into depth about the films themselves or any of their details and just kind of you know and some of them you know i haven't seen since the first half of 2019 so they'll be a little fuzzier than the others but try to kind of just summarize what I felt about them when I saw them, how I remember them now, if I still feel like they deserve to be on this list, and uh, hopefully, if you weren't interested last time I mentioned them, or you missed the episode that I talked about them on before, uh, maybe this will be uh, worth checking out. Maybe, maybe, Maybe I'll spark something that you had forgotten about, or maybe you made a note and never got around to it, something to that effect. So, that said, Um, 2019, as I've talked about already at the statistics episode, and I talked about December last, last episode, uh, a lot of great stuff. I saw a lot of great movies in, in, in 2019, and a couple of these, and I'll make a note when we get to that threshold, uh, broke into my top, you know, X whatever list, and that in and of itself is also uh, a lot of fun and, and exciting and We'll see how it goes. So, with any, without any further ado, here are my top 10 films that I saw, top 10 old films that I saw for the first time in 2019. Countdown 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, oh no! Starting at number 10, we go back to April 7th, 2019, for a film that's 107 minutes long from 1998. My brief summary... Recently released from prison, a man kidnaps a teenage dance student to pose as his girlfriend. It, I gave this an 83. It has a 76% on Rotten Tomatoes. It is directed by Vincent Gallo, starring Vincent Gallo, Christina Ricci, Ben Gazzara, Angelica Houston, Rosanna Arquette, among others. And this is Buffalo 66. Uh, I believe I watched this for Moran's top movie list. Uh, back in April, which I'm unfortunately still 
still watching films for i i don't know i i try to get through these top movie lists and for whatever reason it just i get so distracted by you know watching the 2019 films i need to catch up on watching monthly actor movie uh movies and so on and so forth it just there's a lot to cover anyway bubble 66 vincent gallo is not a name i really associate with good films you know i am i'd only seen him in two films prior to buffalo 66 uh both films i liked for that or i guess it's three or had i seen this uh maybe it's three maybe i'd seen him in three films the two ones the two that are more well known goodfellas and two days in new york uh i like i like both of those movies yeah, goodfellas is widely regarded as a pretty great film uh, i like it so but but he didn't direct either of those films he didn't he wasn't a writer on either of those films and so you know he's not even a big part of either of those films you know he's not pesci he's not leota he's not de niro he's not chris rock he's not you know julie delpy or any of that this is a film starring him he is the main character it is directed by him it is written by him it's his his stamp is all over it uh, and so despite the high average rating on Letterboxd, I was a little, uh, a little apprehensive. And absolutely, you know, shocked at, at how, how much I enjoyed Buffalo 66. I thought Gallo's, you know, flares, his, his direction, the way he, he composes and, and structures this film was really exciting. It's, you know, it's fairly average length that you know 140 some minutes or, or an hour and 40 some minutes and christina ricci is ex exceptional in it uh, i think it's probably my favorite performance that she's given uh the the supporting cast of gazara houston arquette you've even got kevin corrigan mickey rourke kevin pollack it's great it's a great supporting cast and so all in all you know i came away very much enjoying the film and uh you know despite it doesn't have the greatest like quality to it it, it does feel i don't know i don't want to say cheap but it feels unpolished in a lot of ways and um as much as i liked other elements of it I, there's there's a flashback element to the film that i, I was only sort of on board for and that's kind of why it ends up, you know, not being even higher on my list, uh, getting a better rating. But everything, all its messiness, all the like griminess of this film, it just it just finds a way to 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 work. Uh, especially, um, you know, the the sequence at the bowling alley, uh, which man, like I don't really remember a ton of this movie. You know, talking about it now, I'm I'm starting to get reminders of some of the aspects of it and the plot and whatnot but the bowling alley man i that is vivid that is in my head i can you know pull that up for sure and the way the camera moves on to richie and to gallo and back and forth and back and forth yeah uh it's 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 a lot better than i thought it could be and um could have been even better than it was you know not for some shakiness towards the in the first third of the film or so so if you got a chance it looks like it's on amazon right now you can watch it 
Uh, I really, I recommend it. I think it's really an unseen gem. It's got 27,000 logs on Letterboxd, though, so maybe it's not as unseen as I thought it was, but I certainly wasn't really, wasn't the, wasn't the audience for this movie back when I was seven years old, uh, so take that for what it is. Uh, my number 10 from 2019 old film is Buffalo 66. Uh, then we skip up to number nine. So I won't definitely don't have to talk too long about this one because I saw it in December 12th, so, uh, 2019. It's 22 minutes long. It's from 1949. My summary, terrible footage from a slaughterhouse. I gave it an 84. It has no score in Rotten Tomatoes. It is directed by Georges Franju. Georges Franju. And doesn't star anybody of note. And that's Blood of the Beasts talked about this fairly at length in the December review, December top 10 episode, so I won't go into do it into any details of it now. All I'll say is uh, it's short. It's on the Criterion channel. If you can find it, I highly recommend it. It is not for everybody. There are some very terrifying and, and awful visual elements to this film, but uh, I think it's a th- it's a film that really challenges the viewer and it challenges its audience to not only survive the horrible visuals that it's showing but um with the twist sort of twist at the end uh recontextualizes not just this film but i think a lot of elements in the world and that is in- incredibly difficult to do in-, in a short film you know let alone any film and uh, Blood of the Beasts does it very, very well. So my number nine uh, from December from 2019 with an 84 is Blood of the Beasts. Number eight is a film uh, from also from April, along with Buffalo 66. Saw it April 2nd, 2019. It is a 119 minutes long, just shy of two hours. It is from 1935, and I believe the oldest film on this list yes it is the oldest film on the list my summary a man unjustly convicted of treason becomes a notorious pirate i gave it an 85 it has a 100 percent on rotten tomatoes it is directed by michael curtis michael curtis starring errol flynn olivia de havilland lionel atwell basil rathbone ross alexander among others and this is captain blood Captain Blood, I, you know, I, I haven't really thought about it in a while. I actually watched an Errol Flynn and Olivia de Havilland film uh, the other night. Uh, they aren't, uh, Flynn was one of the main stars. Havilland was more of a supporting role in that, whereas they're both leads in this. And, uh, you know, I think Errol Flynn is just one of the most charismatic guys. He holds his own in everything I've seen him in, which, to be fair, isn't a ton of movies. It's, you know, I think 11 films credits that I've seen him in, and most of those are not, you know, like main, his big stuff. But I love Errol Flynn. I love Olivia de Havilland. I think she's great, too. And and the supporting cast of Basil Rathbone, Lionel Atwill, Ross Alexander, you know, Henry Stevenson, and so on. It's great. And I think Captain Blood is kind of, I don't know, it's it's... I don't know, it it feels like a 1930s blockbuster of sorts. And yet 
it, it, it does so much more than that. It has an extremely compelling story. Uh, I thought Haviland's character is very is a very strong and well written female, especially given the time period. Uh, it's it's witty, it's funny, it looks great, especially you know not only for the time but even now looking back, I thought the the effects and the production and, and all that look really really good. Um, it's you know it's a high energy film, and Flynn I. I you know, I, I compare him to The Rock. I think they are very similar. If you know, you know, Flynn is the char- has the charisma, he has the charm. Um, maybe he has the smolder. I don't re- remember necessarily, and maybe not even in this film. But he absolutely is like the guy. You know, when you want to open a huge swashbuckling or action film, like he's the one you go to, and and for good reason. And uh, I thought this was, you know, just just a, a ton of fun. It's such a enjoyable film, and um, really showcases how great of a leading man Errol Flynn can be. So number eight is Captain Blood with an eighty-five. Next is from July second at 93 minutes in length from 1950 my brief summary a temperamental playwright becomes a murder suspect i gave this an 85 it has a 97 percent on rotten tomatoes it is directed by nicholas ray starring humphrey bogart gloria graham frank lovejoy carl benton reed art smith jeff donald martha stewart among others and this is in a lonely place uh in a lonely place one of the not a Humphrey Bogart film that I knew by name uh, when I watched it. I forget the exact reason I watched it. I'm sure somebody in this film uh, was had to do, you know, so it was either an Oscar-related watch or, you know, some extra in it whose birthday was in July or something like that. But suffice to say, uh, In a Lonely Place is a very suspenseful and very chilling film you get you know bogart is you know he he plays the noir films so well and generally when he's in those films he's on like you know as the main character in most of them he's the guy we're following he's the gumshoe he's the you know the detective the investigator whatever and here he's not that and and it wouldn't be it wouldn't be fair to say he's he's uh, he's like the bad guy because I wouldn't say that either, but he's in this gray area, and I think that makes this an exciting film to watch because you never really know uh, for most of the for most most of the runtime just where his head's at. You know, he's a writer, and and as a as a writer, I can I kind of sympathize with the need and and want to look at a situation, look at something, and and puzzle out how it could have worked and, and why it worked the way it did and and give alternative stories and then kind of explain away things that don't make sense, you know? And it, it's kind of like um, anybody who, you know, sits at home and watches a true crime documentary and, you know, if at any point along the way you're like, oh, well, that doesn't make sense, you know, why wouldn't they have done X, Y, or Z? You know, that's what he's doing. 
you know that's what he's doing during an active investigation and and so it naturally and you know an investigation about somebody very close to him and so it naturally leads to him being a suspect and getting this sort of unknown about him just it it creates a great support and foundation for the film and then from from there with Gloria Graham and 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 the rest of the supporting cast everyone is working off of Humphrey and and it, it just elevates everything else around him so much you know from the film to the performances to the, to the way it looks you know it's a black and white movie it has a, a gorgeous cinematography the great great shadows you know Gloria Graham uh you know even if you look at the letterboxed um cover art at the top of the screen you know you have you have bogey sitting there you know kind of bathed in shadows very gray very um kind of kind of hard to to clearly see all the features on his face and then you look at gloria graham's face and it's just pristine white and and i think there's so much in this movie to to kind of decipher and dissect and it all it all starts with bogart and and he i think gives one of my favorite performances that he's given so number seven that i old film that i saw in 2019 is in a lonely place with an 85 number six is a film that i saw in march of march 21st Uh, it is 142 minutes long it is from 1969 my brief summary underground resistance fighters in france i have a way with words i gave this an 86 it is a 97 percent on rotten tomatoes it is directed by jean-pierre melville melville it stars Lino Ventura, Paul Maurice, Jean-Pierre Cassel, Simone Cineret, among others. I might not have pronounced those names correctly. And this is Army of Shadows. Uh, so Army of Shadows, foreign language film. Uh, in French, I think there's some English and maybe German as well. Uh, but it's, it's a long film. Uh, very much... And it is a slow film. It, it is a very slow burn. And the story itself, and I'm sure I talked about this when I mentioned it, brought it up last time, it's kind of a slog. Uh, it's, it's, it's not going to... I think it's a compelling premise, but you know, once you take a step back and think about, okay, what is this actually going to lead to? I think it's kind of... It's, it's not the most compelling... Um, story to to think about however and, and i felt that i thought that you know early on watching it i thought you know the first 20 minutes it was like well i don't know if this is a, i've heard really good things but this doesn't seem the greatest thing ever and so it was it was fascinating as the longer the film went on the more it began to pull me in uh lino ventura Philippe Gerbier uh, in the film are so brilliant. And, you know, the, he, is, he is just able to... Uh, Lena Ventura as the actor, Philippe Gerbier as the, as the character, his, his, his story as straightforward and, and 
slow as it unfolds. He just he's, his performance, Ventura's performance, is so great, and you can feel every decision he's making. You can, you know, follow him. I think it does. This is one of those films that does a really good job of. This is a character making the right decisions at the right time, and sometimes the decisions hurt people around him. Sometimes those decisions aren't as obvious as they might seem, and yet uh, when you get to the end of the story, it feels as though it couldn't have gone any other direction. It feels as though it couldn't have made any other turns along the way, and you know he does he does such a great job of emoting with his eyes. I think, you know, I remember his face is fairly stoic, and I think it has to be. You know, he is being, you know, he at the start of the film, or, man, I, no, I'm not sure. I think, I don't think he starts the film uh, in the Nazi prison camp. I think that happened, that's part of the early plot. But he just, despite, like, the ups and downs that he goes through, I, his, he's, very, he's just a very stoic guy. And yet, it's it's like if I, sh- you know, it's like those pain charts kind of where you got, you know, all those 10 over-exaggerated facial expressions. And if, if, you know, it's like somehow if all of his faces for each facial expression, for each, you know, spot on the pain chart were the exact same, you could still tell the difference, you know, in the eyes, in, in, in just the way he's standing and, and all that. I think his his physical performance... Um, as subtle as it is, is is really the the backbone of this movie, and his performance, and then I guess the the rest of the the supporting cast, and and even the story to a degree, slowly just drag me down into it, and and it's a grimy film. It's very at times exciting and celebratory, and and other times depressing, and and damning but it is a relentless movie and it's in its stoicism and in its quietness so that is my number six army of shadows uh, from march uh with an 86 army of shadows number five I saw this film June 27th. It is 82 minutes long. Uh, I believe it's the second shortest film outside of Blood of the Beasts, or, or besides Blood of the Beasts. It has from 2001. My summary, a former actress reminisces about her career and lost love. I gave this an 86. It has a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. It is directed by Satoshi Kon. It stars Miyoki, Miyoko Shoji, Mami Koyama, Fumiko Orakasa, Shozu Izuka, among others. And this is Millennium Actress. This is an animated and foreign language film uh, in Japanese. And Satoshi Kon has... I had seen two films of his already, Paprika and Perfect Blue. Both films I really liked and... Uh, you know, I knew about Millennium Actress. I'd heard really good things about it, and I finally took the time to watch it. Um, you know, and lo and behold, uh, I enjoyed it as well. Obviously, I, I really loved it. I thought more so than Paprika, and more so than Perfect Blue, Millennium Actress is a brilliant character study. 
Uh, I think Paprika is a lot more focused on uh, special effects, on the animation, on the sort of creativity of the film, uh, and less so on the characters. Uh, and not not to its own detriment, but it's just a different approach to a film. And uh, Perfect Blue, on the other hand, uh, is more of a character study, definitely, than um, than Paprika. But I think it's more of a story-driven character study, whereas I think Millennium Actress is more of a character-driven character study. And they all have their own, you know, highs and lows within them. Millennium Actress follows uh, Chiyoko's story and she it's it's man it is a brilliant brilliantly written harrowing and uh, depressing story uh, about lost love and the film it does some absolutely brilliant backflips over through its narrative you know within the film itself which is animated and in a foreign language there's a documentarian element to it it uh, transpires over multiple you know many decades from when chiyoko was just 10 to when she's like 70 and it's something that does have a couple of you know narrative tricks up its sleeve in that way and and molds genres to kind of be whatever they need to be for the purpose of the film you know we get to see her with uh she's an actress so we get to see her in various roles and films that she's performed in and those films sometimes seep into the actual story and and outside of the boundaries of of the studio and uh the set and so there's so much going on and i think that's true of all of satoshi Kon's films there's always so much going on in them and it's very difficult to catch everything on the first pass uh, i'm sure i didn't and i even wrote in my review back in june that i, I really want to watch it again and it's true I, I think there's a lot to be gained from from visiting these films any as many times as as is as is desired whether that's one whether that's ten whatever it is so big fan if you uh it's it's another i don't know it's a really good anime film and and i think a lot of people i don't know i think people a lot of people are turned off by anime as a quote-unquote genre and it's not really that it's just it's just an animated film from japan right um that's that's really all there is to it and i think it's like most of cone's work it's breaking boundaries is is pushing uh envelopes and and really giving you something you probably haven't seen before uh, so big fan of millennium actress and satoshi Kone. millennium actress my number five uh from 2019 that was not released in 2019 with an 86 i gave it an 86 so Number four is a film I've talked about a couple of times already, so I definitely won't spend all, all long on this. I saw it December 16th. It is 191 minutes long. It is from 1961. Trying to escape the war, the pacifist faces greater challenges to his resolve. I gave this an 89. It has no score on run or an 87. Sorry, I gave it has no score on Rotten Tomatoes. It is directed by Masaki Kobayashi and stars Tatsuya Nakadai among others. And this is the Human Condition Three: Colon, A Soldier's Prayer. 
suffice to say, I think this movie is great. I think the trilogy is great. I did an entire episode on the trilogy as a whole. Talked about talked more about it in the last episode with that, where I reviewed the top 10 films that I saw in December. So I'm not going to get... There's not much to talk about with, with this. It's the 17th highest rated film on Letterboxd. Uh, narrative film. Which is pretty insane. And... You know, the first part is ranked 30th. And the second part is in there somewhere. Yes, that's 60th. So, highly, highly, highly rated trilogy. And uh, like I said last time, try it out. You'll know pretty quickly whether or not it's the, the right trilogy for you. So, number four, Human Condition 3, colon, A Soldier's Prayer. Number three, uh, which is the last english language film on this list uh i saw this march 7th it is 89 minutes long it is from 1980 my summary a rebellious punk hopes to reunite with her father and become a family again it has an 80 i gave it an 87 it has a 92 percent on rotten tomatoes it is directed by dennis hopper starring linda manns dennis hopper sharon farrell raymond burr and don gordon and this is out of the blue. I remember very little about the details of this film from, however, from so long ago. Uh, you know, a thousand films later, and it's. I, I remember Dennis Hopper kind of being this drunk jackass. Uh, you know, uh, Linda Mance's mother, who's played by Sharon Farrell, I think. Uh, being not, you know, a very, very small presence in the film. But Linda Manns, I remember uh, just her performance and, and her story. And it is her story. You know, she is the main character. She is the one dealing with these parents. You know, her father is this ex-convict. Her mother is a junkie. And, you know, she just kind of melds into the wallpaper and... Other, but but then there's another side of it where, you know, she is holding in a lot of anger, a lot of aggression, a lot of emotions. And when those finally come out, and, and when you see the, the final, you know, five, ten minutes of this movie are brilliant. They are bloody brilliant. Uh, you get a br- just a brutal performance from Dennis Hopper uh, who who you know I I loved I I think he's a great actor I think he does has given some incredible performances and this is you know perhaps one of his best uh and and then Linda Manns who apparently didn't really become an actor she didn't you know do much more beyond this she's got 12 credits on Letterboxd total uh, this came out in the 80s. She was a kid then. So um, whatever the case may be, this is a just fascinating performance and, and one of the best, you know, kid actors ever. And, uh, you know, she's she's just wonderful. And the way that she manages to still be a kid in this movie and yet go toe-to-toe with Hopper when he's he's irate, when he's angry, when he's aggressive, to go, you know, toe-to-toe with anybody 
um, any of the adults in this film and still retain that childlike innocence, even when she's, you know, just so pissed off at, at what's going on around her. I, I thought I, I just loved what she was doing and loved the way she, she was doing it. It's a very sobering film. Uh, it's not a fun film, and even the ending I think is is pretty pretty much pretty much a downer. Uh, but it is a well made, well written. Um, I think Hopper was one of the writers uh, on the film as well. Just from top to bottom, I, I think there's very very little not to like about Out of the Blue, except like I guess the subject matter. So number three, Out of the Blue with an 87. Number two is another film that I watched in December, so I will, again, keep it short here. December 18th, 2019, 137 minutes long. It's from 2010. It's the newest film on the list. My summary, a poetry student afflicted with Alzheimer's becomes embroiled in a situation involving her grandson's wrongdoing. I gave it an 89. It has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, and it's Poetry by Lee Chang Dong, starring Yoon Jong-hee. Uh, Yoon Jong-hee, nominated for Best Lead Performance for me from 2010. Lee Chang Dong also directed Burning. So, uh, you know, was always going to be on my radar for something ever since, you know, Burning was such a fantastic film last year, or I guess 2018 now. And this is a story that, like Burning is slow it, it doesn't materialize immediately it takes its time and really develops its characters uh, specif specifically Mija who is Yoon Jung-hee's character and very uh, kind of similarly in a similar way to um Yu Ain who plays Lee Jong-soo in Burning the main character there's a little bit of naivety to, to these two main characters in, in this in these two films where you're not exactly sure what they know what they're aware of what they're uh, thinking about it all the all the time which has its uh, which makes some elements of, of a film simpler and easier to, to make and, and and gives them a little more creativity to show uh, not only within the performances but but in the way that you structure a movie but makes it difficult in other ways because if your character isn't always uh, see-through isn't always clear about what they feel it it sometimes can make decisions fee seem seem like they come out of nowhere and I cannot give enough credit to Lee Chang Dong and and his two the two performances in those two films for how easily they how easy they make it look to have a character that may or may not know anything at any given point um more so in poetry but also pull through and, and make a film that feels so cohesively um intentional so so obvious in its in what it's doing you know, and for giving us a film that makes it fun and makes it interesting and makes it worth going back and looking at a second time to see what did I miss? What what really what was she really thinking? And and not only that, but without needing a, a very in, intentional top spinning on a table moment, gives us that inception feeling of 
there are a lot of different ways to interpret this. There are a lot of question marks. And as much as I need and want to know these, or as much as I want to know the answers to these questions, I don't need to know. Because every single op, every single route, every single option, every single possibility is satisfying in its own way. And I, I, I think that's a, a true, true mark of you know impressive filmmaking. So my number two from 2019 or from before 2019 that I saw for the first time in 2019 is poetry. And with an 89, that means that this next film, I guess it doesn't mean, I guess the other film, next film could also have an 89, but it doesn't, it's higher than that. Uh, this next film broke into my top movie list, um, which currently just extends down to everything with a 90 or above. So my number one film from 20, that I saw in 2019 from before 2019, I saw it on March 3rd, it is 104 minutes long. It is from 1959. My brief summary, remnants of the Japan army are abandoned by their command. I gave this a 92. It has a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. It is directed by Kon Ichikawa, and it stars Eiji Funakoshi, Osamu Takizawa, Miki Curtis, Montaro Ushio, Kyo Sazanka, and Yoshihiro Hamaguchi, among others. And this is Fires on the Plain. This is, Kon, Kon Ichigawa, Ichikawa is not a name I was familiar with prior to watching the movie. Fires on the Plain is a title I was aware of. Uh, it is a very highly rated film, especially on Letterboxd with a 4.0. It was on somebody's top movie list. Maybe Miran's? Mm, not sure. And... Uh, you know, this is a guy, he made 63 films. He's got 63 director credits on this list. And there's one that's more popular than Fires on the Plane, and that's the Burmese Harp, uh, which also has a 4.0 average rating on Letterboxd. Uh, the stars in it, I'm not really familiar with them either. You know, I've seen quite a few Japanese films, but these are names I wasn't really, you know, this must have been, I don't even know what you would call it, but it's it's a film that features a lot of, you know, there's no Toshiro Mufune, there's no Tatsuyo Nakadai or anything like that in this movie. So I was, I wouldn't say skeptical, but I was not expecting this to be on the level of, you know, those other films that I've seen, these other amazing, uh, you know, Kurosawa level films. And man, Fires on the Plane just shut me up right there and uh, made Kon Ichikawa a name I have to explore more. Uh, absolutely the Burmese harp and, and looking through some of his films, he's he's made so many. I, I, there's so many to choose from. I, I want to dive into that more. And uh, even um, Eji Funakoshi as the lead in this is is wonderful as Tamora. Uh, this is the only film of his I've seen, and so you know, love to see him in more stuff. But this is a movie, and I've seen a lot of them that really paints this brutal picture of war. Uh, the the entire Human Condition trilogy does it as well, and it seems to be a very common theme in in Japan. We don't do it as much, or in the states, or or rather, I haven't 
nothing immediately comes to mind. I'm sure there are films that do it. But you think about something like 1917, uh, which just expanded wide this weekend, uh, or Dunkirk, which was you know the big war film last, you know, one of the last big war films. They're not films that de- you know show the dehumanization of war. Really, they're 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 savior films. They're you know they they're, they're these are movies with these huge grand moments of of look at all these people I just saved, or or look at this journey I just completed. And you look at Fires on the Plane and The Human Condition and those movies, and this is these are just like this is devastating. The for any of this to happen to one person is is unspeakable, and it is happening to an entire country. It is happening to multiple entire countries. Fires on the Plane at the takes place towards the end of World War II, and um, Tamora Ag Funakoshi's character is part of a small uh, band of soldiers whose command abandons them and are forced to kind of find their own way home. And what follows are some of the most despicable, debasing, horrific things you could see in a movie. Uh, So not for the faint of heart, uh, not, you know, it's very brutal. Absolutely, absolutely brutal. And it's not just like visually what's seen. It's some of it's the actions that are taking. You know, these are they're they're coming across people and interacting with people and in, and even among themselves acting in a way that betrays the the lengths they've already gone due to this war from the mental uh, taxation that has happened over you know killing people over. Uh, watching people die around you, you know, being pushed to the brink of survival, of starvation, of dehydration, uh, of comfort, of life, and what that makes someone do. And I think Ichikawa captures that brilliantly, beautifully, and heartbreakingly uh, in his movie Fires on the Plane. So I, if maybe nine hours of the human condition are a little uh, a little on the long side um, I would say you know if you can stomach it fires on the plane is a much faster and quicker uh, abbreviated version of, of showing you the same point and showing you in a different way that's not necessarily better or worse but just in a different way different approach because it is more brutal the human condition does not have nearly as many visually brutal moments as fires on the plane does and it's you know a fifth the length so you know if if either of those you know kind of spark your interest i think they're both worth checking out but they have you know their advantages disadvantages depending on the type of uh cinephile that you are so my favorite film that i saw for the first time in 2019 that was released before 2019 is fires on the plane i will run down that top 10 again just to remind you so top 10 first time watches in 2019 that were released before 2019 starting at number 10 buffalo 66 blood of the beasts captain blood in a lonely place army of shadows millennium actress 
The Human Condition 3, A Soldier's Prayer, Out of the Blue, Poetry, and Fires on the Plain. So Fires on the Plain, like I mentioned, broke into my top film list of all time, and it's number 239. Uh, it's very high uh, when you consider that's out of like 8,400 films. That's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. It does mean a lot. Uh, if you'd like to find more episodes, you can find them on iTunes, Stitcher, places where podcasts can be found. You can also head over to the website, circleoffilm.com, to find all that and much more. If you would like to find me, I'm on Twitter at Circle of Film. I'm on Letterboxd at Circle of Film, or you can email circleoffilm at gmail.com. You can support the show, like it, rate it, review it, subscribe to it, um, favorite it, whatever it is, wherever you are. Tell somebody about it. But, I mean, really just listen. That's that's really it. Just listen. If you are so inclined, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash circleoffilm, where for as little as eight cents an episode, you can have early access to any of the episodes that are released early. Thank you for listening, and as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same night. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fades from view. So long, farewell, I'll be the same adieu. Nothing's really left or lost without a trace. Nothing's gone forever, only out of place. So long, farewell, oh, what I'll be to say. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So long.